Welcome back, listeners, to another exciting episode of Bills and Beers, the Buffalo Bills preview podcast here from the Bills Backers of Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lars. Joining me tonight, the president of the Bills Backers, Sujit, is here. What up, everybody? And we're also graced by the presence of the lovely Miss Cassie Ozark. Say hi, Cassie. Hello, uh, secretary of the Buffalo Bills backers of Chicago. It was a given title by myself. That's sexist. And treasurer. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure, wait. treasurer. I do deal with money. Does that mean I'm like chief communications officer? Because I can, <laughs> I can handle that. Uh, no Buffalo Bill Nichols tonight. Uh, excuse me, Buffalo Bill Belcher. I got to get that right. Uh, and of course, no Jam and Jeff Day either. We are coming off a... Um, a really bad five days in Bills football. Um, the Thursday night loss to the Dolphins is something we'd rather forget, but we will talk about it tonight, and we will talk about the upcoming game against the New York Jets, which I think we should be somewhat excited for. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Billsandbeers.com is the best way to find us. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell everybody you know in Bills Nation how you found this podcast, and tune in every week. Uh, I will stab this whole team. Yeah, the whole we whole uh, team. I'm gonna stab them. We are awfully frustrated, and uh, Thursday was a a sad, sad state of affairs at the Bills Bar here in Chicago. So we're not gonna waste any more time and tell you just how depressing it was. So right now in Chicago, it's cold about 19 degrees. Buffalo just got dumped on, about three feet of snow. But it gets dark here around 4.30 at night. And there's something about these primetime games that when it's dark inside the bar, it makes the whole affair a lot more gloomy. And as we were just discussing here, when you've gone one for your last 12 primetime performances, and when we've experienced most of those in a dark, cold bar in Chicago... I'm almost now to the point where I just want to wake up the morning after and be told what the score is because primetime performances from this Buffalo Bills team have been downright miserable miserable for going on a decade now. And, you know, the thing is that I think about the New England game where Leotis fumbled and I think about the Cowboys game where we had like seven turnovers, for, you know, where we, where we got seven turnovers and still lost the game. And I actually think used to still think fondly about the primetime games because, you know, I mean, obviously we were all there. We were drinking a lot. And it was such a, you know, we, we fought really hard and then we lost in typical Bills fashion, some heartbreaking loss, but it was still an exciting game. The past few games, like the Cleveland game uh, last, last year, year and this game have just been, there's been no redeeming quality to them. No. It's just been bad pretty much all the way around. And, you know, I agree with you. It was just, I was really happy we weren't playing on Sunday. You know, I've never not looked forward to seeing a Bills, having a Bills Sunday come, but I just wanted the time off. Like, it, I needed that bye week. Well, you know, word to the wise to the gambling audience out there, don't bet on the Bills in prime time. You know, when I saw that 1 out of 12, I thought, what were we thinking? We don't win in prime time. Why was that not a part of our pregame mental preparation? We, and it makes no sense to. Because this dates all the way back as we were just talking about the Teddy Bruschi fresh off a stroke game back in 2005. Christ, that's four regimes ago. This isn't a, this isn't a Doug Marone issue. This it wasn't a Chan Gailey issue. It wasn't a Dick Duran era Dick Duran issue. It wasn't a Mike Malarkey issue. It's a Buffalo Bills issue. We are just terrible on prime time. Maybe it's a Russ Brandon issue. Yeah, he has been the constant, has he? Yeah, I guess yeah, he has. I mean, he's, he's been the only. In one, one we can't even say it's a Ralph Wilson issue anymore. No, we can't. You know, so it's a Buffalo issue, and it's, it's bad. I mean, we all stopped drinking in the third quarter on Thursday. Like usually, like you said, we'll drink, we'll go out, we'll party, we'll we'll cry into our beers until the wee hours of the morning. Wasn't even worth it. No, we all looked at each other. We're like, God, this sucks. And and I think this Thursday hurt a little bit more. Because every single chance of us making the playoffs rested on that. Rested on that win. What rested on winning that game, and we just didn't see a team out there that wanted to win the game. And yet, we are not mathematically eliminated, and for that reason, this podcast in particular 
has a lot of hope for these Buffalo Bills coming into the final stretch of the season. Hey, we didn't get to the record we are beating the teams that we were supposed to beat and losing to the teams that we were supposed to lose to. We beat some teams that we weren't supposed to beat, and we lost to some teams that we were supposed to beat. So I think that... Does that sound right? We yeah. know what you're trying to say. Yeah, we, yeah. So who knows? Who can say what's going to happen in this crazy topsy-turvy world? Uh, <laughs> though, we... though, you guys, I'm about 99% sure it's going to be going into our 15th year next year. No playoffs. No playoffs. 15 is a nice round number, though. But there's so, so much. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, there's so much going on right now in Bill's Nation, though, with the quarterback situation... Um, with the new ownership, I mean, we've always joked about how this team always manages to find a way to keep us on the edges of our seat, and here we are going into another offseason with, you know there's going to be some move. It's going to be signing Eli Manning or doing something crazy in the draft again. We're going to give up the, the, you know, the first round picks for the next four years to bring in who is going to Marietta emerge as the, yeah, the greatest quarterback. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that we're going to have hope, like I have now. You said 99% cast. That means there's a 1% chance, and that's why we're still recording tonight. I'll tell you, if they sign Eli Manning in the offseason, I know that he's not the best quarterback in the world, but I am straight up not going to wear pants for an entire week. <laughs> that is going to be my celebration because, you know, whatever. He might not be the best, but at least he is a franchise quarterback. And after this many years, I will take... Even if he only gives us three years, I'll take three years of a real franchise quarterback with Sammy, potentially CJ. Who knows? Who knows? Fred's going to well, be out there well, with an iron hip. Oh, okay, come so. on. <laughs> Haven't you listened to local sports media? You know who's going to be looking for a trade? Jay Cutler. That's oh, true. that's true. Please, no. I will <laughs> no. put on Lord, no. Although, here's iron the thing. pants if we get Jay, Jay Cutler. Cutler right now is, Jay Cutler right now is on pace. To set career highs in completion percentage, quarterback rating, and touchdowns. And yards, I think, too. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually he's actually having a pretty decent year. (laughs) Well, he is except for his picks. Yeah, but his picks and his sacks. Those count as completions, by the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering, do do picks count as completions? No, they don't. No, they count as I was kidding. Uh, but the Chicago Bears have systemic issues right now that go far beyond quarterback. Yes. But let's talk but about the, let's talk about this Dolphins game. And one thing I, I want to harp on here is I am I feel like you know obviously we do a podcast, so we're invested in this team. We're invested in sharing our opinions about this team. So Suj, you to a lesser extent, and I we're both active on message boards. I feel like I'm one of the few people out there who has has been hammering this point home since the Jerron era. When everybody in Bills Nation is so ready to throw up their hands and blame the coaches and blame the play calling as if we as fans have any fucking clue what's going on, when there is blatant mis-execution all over the field, whiffed blocks, dropped passes, throws that are off the mark, running backs who are missing the holes, guys missing tackles, I'm just not sold on it being a coaching issue. And... As it has been the case since week two of 2013 when we went to the Meadowlands and got beat up pretty bad by the Jets, everybody wants to crucify Nate Hackett. The last two weeks, we have moved the ball very, very, very well until we've gotten to the red zone. And that has been the bugaboo of this team. It's not that the offense is horrendous, it's that the red zone offense is horrendous. And this has been because of drops, because of missed assignments, bad throws, etc. I'm not completely sold that it's because of play calls. Is there anybody here who wants to try to talk me out of this position? So, you know, I actually saw your post today. Actually, it's funny that you bring that up because I saw your post today with the same... With the same sentiment, because, but it's our, it's the red zone I, offense. It's I not, was, it's not I the was offense. Just thinking, it's the red zone offense. It and, sucks. And I was thinking, I was like, I'm glad we're doing a podcast today because I would really like to talk to him about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my issue is that, yes, it is the execution. It is the execution. But why is Bill Belichick a great coach? It's because Did you see the response that I. Well, no, no, no. But okay. to me, it's because he gets these no name players. To execute. No, okay. So that's but, the thing. My, my issue is that if if your team is not 
properly executed the plays. I don't want to disagree with you. I I want to take what you're saying. Call something that they can't execute. There was in the week eleven winners and losers column in Grantland. It was it was perfectly defined as Bill Belichick is that asshole player who's found a move on Mortal Kombat that you can't beat and will not do anything else. Yeah. Bill Belichick is great at finding a way that you can't stop him and just going back to that play time and time again. And I can't disagree with that other than to say there are 31 other offensive coordinators in the NFL who, if you ask any of their fan bases, have never gotten that memo. Because I will I will happily agree that offensive coordinators in general try to get too cute. Bill Belichick gets a lot out of a little because he knows what he can do to beat the other team and just keeps doing it until they stop him. And it's not just been one thing. Over the, over the course of his he career, finds a new it's way been to do tight it. ends. It's been, you know... Amendola slash Welker or whatever. Been Randy you know, Moss. Right, exactly. It's it's changed, and once you know he finds the flavor for that season and and, and takes it out. Um, but, but you can know, we, can way, we not compare way. Nate Hackett to? Okay, I okay, so, I I hate the New England Patriots. I hate Tom Brady. I hate Bill Belichick. But I am not going to sit here and tell you that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are not the best quarterback head coach combo in the history of the NFL. What though? What they have managed to accomplish, and now sitting at eight and two, whatever they are, when everybody thought that they were down and out and could be completely written off, Brady's finally started to climb. What they've done with so little, year in and year out, Nervous is always a shitty division. Well, if it was a shitty division, they wouldn't be consistently making it to conference finals. The, no, there's the, no doubt. So. No doubt. Can Nate okay. Hackett not be compared to one of the greatest coaches of all time no, as, no, and, but, on the pass-fail m- metric? But I think that there's two standpoints to this. You have the coach that's calling the plays, but you also have the coach that needs to put inspiration into his team and make play calls that he feels like his team can execute, which I don't think Nate Hackett is doing. I don't think in the red zone he has any clue as to what is going to be successful. I also do think... That it has a lot to do with Fred Jackson being out. Because personally, I think you give the ball to Fred Jackson and you put a lot on his shoulders because you know he is going to execute. You know he is going to do what you're going to need him to do. But that's a problematic short-term plan that even you would agree to. Correct. No, but Fred has also failed miserably in the red zone. I mean, that's what we did the beginning of the season where we would just run Fred three times and he can't get in, which was, or maybe that was last season. But regardless, we got, that's why we got Booby Dixon. And we tried that a couple times this season. The point is, is that you run plays that your team is great at executing. Okay, okay, great. Then, then this, then this brings me to a, a way that we can agree. Has Nate Hackett not found his Mortal Kombat move? What is it that we do that we're great at? We haven't found it because we don't do it. Well, so right, it's, but it's not. Problem. It's not like he, we get down there. Yeah, but we just haven't figured it out. Is it a lob pass to Mike Williams? Is it a screen to Sammy Watkins? Is it? Fred Jackson up the middle. Is it Kyle Orton on a naked boot? I don't know because we have not successfully executed a play in the red zone consistently yet this year. We it's, def- it's definitely not Kyle Orton on a naked yeah, boot. At yeah. this point, who knows what it could be? <laughs> With his cement shoes. But we all agree that it's it's not the offense, it's the red zone offense. Correct, because we drive the ball down the field. I... We sometimes don't have an issue in the opening few possessions of the game. We have not had an issue driving the ball down the field. Even So why can't you just correlate that into doing something successfully into the red zone? I don't know, but it can't zone. possibly be as easy as fans are making it out to be. No, If it were, the, nobody would be signing seven-digit paychecks with 33-year-old named Nate Hackett. If it was that easy, everybody would do it. I mean, there's... I don't know. He... We have not found the solution for what our red zone offense is. It's it's not easy. That's why there's only, what, 32 people in the world that do it. But the fact is that the good teams, and we're not, let's not compare ourselves to the other bad teams because they probably have similar issues, but the good teams find a way to do it. And, you know, people, even Pittsburgh, who's been up and down this season, for the past decade... You know, they at least have something that they can put on the field that doesn't cause them to lose games. Well, you know, they put together a package as a whole team that a lot. Now, granted, they have a franchise quarterback, so maybe that's what this all comes back down yeah. to. You know, having a franchise quarterback that puts Big Ben fear is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, they I mean, have a Hall of Fame to, quarterback. To prove that point, actually, goes back to our friend Eli Manning and the way that he made it to two Super Bowl victories was with an offensive coordinator named Kevin Gilbride, who was the <laughs> offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills and was miserable. Have you not just made my point for me? Maybe. It's, it's, potentially. I mean, it, it is execution. And everybody wants to everyone wants to laugh about what a scrub Kyle Orton is. 
and what a horrible pick EJ Manuel was, and then they turn around and tell you how horrible the coaches are. And I'm sitting here thinking, which one well, is it? Which one is it? Is it do we have shitty players or do we have shitty coaches? Because it can't be both. But what's the difference between Orton's first start and the game against Miami? Uh-huh. There was you could sense there was just disappointment. There was doubt. There wasn't that positivity. Like, and I blame the coaches for that of having their players not have ready. poor attitudes or not ready or you know that's all inspiration that comes from the coach. And you can call whatever plays you want, but. Inspiration is what le- what these players have confidence in to then go out there and do what they need to do. And Bill is one of the people who will tell you that in the razor-thin margins of talent in the NFL, the coaching is what makes all the difference. And I, I mean, I'm not saying I totally disagree with that, but I will say, Cass, that in two very candid interviews given by Doug Whaley, he's addressed both of what you just said. They have acknowledged that E.J. Manuel is not the kind of guy who holds his teammates accountable. I mean, quite frankly, he's not big enough of a dick. Yeah. He's not. He's too much of a nice guy. He's too much of a pleaser. And that, I think, is the reason why we saw guys like Robert Woods pouting and trying to be the alpha male out there and, and quite frankly, failing at doing so. On the other side, Doug Whaley said this morning in an interview that the reason why they've seen a drop-off in Orton as of late is because teams have figured out how to beat him. That when they first started him, it was a it was a change, and teams didn't know what to expect. Now they know what to expect, and Whaley said straight up, and now we expect more of Kyle Orton, and we're not getting it. I mean, they're putting it right back on the players, which is which is what I'm saying. And that until we see flawless execution from our players, which we are clearly not, not. then I don't know how we can lay this at the feet of the coaching staff. Well, but here's the thing: the that you know. Ryan Fitzpatrick had major, major flaws, but Chan Gailey hid a lot of those flaws. To so, an extent. To an extent. To an extent. I know that he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't Peyton To Manning. a very limited extent. But that once defense figured out how to put right. the lid on what they were trying to do, they pretty but much the thing is, is that they couldn't do. Every player, Tom Brady, people figured out Tom Brady. And, and you know, they said that if you pressure Tom Brady, <laughs> he falls apart. You know? And now granted, with the Bills, you'll just get... And Pass, yet, roughing the passer. And yet, well, but, 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 but is, the point but is, they're is on that, route to another twelve and four season. Well, so yes, everybody because, knows that nobody can do it. Why? Why is it? Is because it they can't do it because they've made adjustments that say, okay, well, we're going to protect Tom Brady and not let people get into his face, so then he can just tear other teams apart. Whether that is making an offensive line that can gel in a in a reasonable way, especially with the scrubs that they've had on their offensive line, despite that, they still end up with amazing protection of Tom Brady ninety percent of the time. So because they've made that adjustment. So, you know, it's it's about the coaching because you have to take the talent that you have and do the best you can with it. Now, granted, I think Kevin Gilbride ran into a little bit of a problem because that was the era when we were coming off the Super Bowls and where we still had dreams of going to the, going to the playoffs every year and things like that. But our talent level was on its way down, 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 and we got into the Wade Phillips and that type of era. But... I think Kevin Gilbride when given a good team. So right now, I think that we're a good team. I think that we have talent pretty much across the board. I mean, we have a defense that's as good as, or or close to as good as our defense was with Wade Phillips and Greg Williams. And we have an offense that has skill players that are tremendous. And an offensive line that, after Marone finally listened to Two Bills Drive... (laughs) Made a change, and the offensive line is, 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 is holding up to some extent. Our run game was improved with that offensive line change, and the protection on Orton was improved. So, what's the excuse now? It's the, I'm telling you, I feel like it's 100% emotional. I, like, these the guys... The is that we don't, we, we have a second-tier quarterback who's lucky to crack the top 20. You just said... Make the most of the talent you got. Okay, well, when the talent you have is Tom fucking Brady and the talent we have is Kyle fucking Orton, then, yeah. Well, we'll yeah, Make but the you... most of your talent. Like, we have to engineer a whole offensive scheme to account for then, his talent. Then, by, what, by is, the then same... what is Arizona doing this year? Exactly. I was about to say, Bruce Arians... Okay, with fine, Carson fine. Carson Palmer... And I, and I know, tweeted I mean... from, our, from, our, from our Twitter handle that Bruce Arians deserves Coach of the Year. Yeah. So, unless the standard, as I've already said... Unless the standard is greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick, or coach of the year, Bruce Arians, we have to but, at least submit that at some, at some point it's talent. But Arians did back. that in Indianapolis. Yeah, he's a great coach. Because it was emotional. That's my point. He has an emotional and because they play in a uplifting. lousy division. Well, true. Well, but, yeah, but he has an ability had, to and, inspire. And because they had the greatest 
quarterback prospect in 20 years and Andrew Luck on their team. True, true. But they were down the dumps. They were dealing with some major issues. And that's what I just feel like. The players I mean, are pretty even across the board. And it comes down to like mental ability, and that has to do with execution as well. Being able to execute and inspire. So let me okay. Let me, and, well, let me say one other thing. I mean, we, we can't always say that because a team's good that they have the greatest coach in the world or they have a, but a franchise what, quarterback. But, but no, what's well, going finish. on in Arizona so, right what, now is pretty remarkable. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I will but you, I will, you know, I'll but the same that. thing you could make that argument that Baltimore with um, what's his face, Harbaugh and, and oh, Flacco. You know, that's that is a coach that knows how to use his quarterback properly because Flacco is not a perfect quarterback by any means. He has. Amazing talents, but he also has major flaws. But that's a, court, a, a coach that knows how to use the, the, the quarterback effectively. Mark Tressman with the guy that's in Tampa Bay now. Um, Mark Tressman. McCown. So McCown had... Last year with the Bears. Uh, McCown yes. with the Bears was lights out. I mean, he was like his TD to interception ratio was ridiculous. And, yeah, I mean, now he sucks. But and what's the difference? Is, is it... I mean, I always think about this when I think about people like... Carson Palmer, where he was amazing with Cincinnati for a period of time, then fell off the face of the earth and sucked with the Raiders, and then suddenly now is making a comeback. I mean, has the player changed that much, or is it a coach that knows how to use the talent that's in front of him? I mean, that's that's. I mean, so I think that we have to account for the fact that these coaches, the good coaches, know how to use the talent that's in front of them. And we can all admit that when Chan Gailey was here, we didn't have a lot of offensive talent. We had Ryan Fitzpatrick. We had um, with C.J. Spiller. We had C.J. Spiller, so great. And, and we had Fred Jackson, so we had two and, good and, players. And one would one could argue Stevie Johnson. So well, yeah, you could argue, but you know, he's a third. And Scott Chandler, who's still our tight end yeah. that we have right now. So I mean, regardless, he made Scott Chandler is, look like a stud. Yeah. Well, he did. right, right, but that's that's exactly exactly you know, and Scott Chandler was nothing before, and he's been <laughs> except, pretty much nothing now. But you know? except I mean, that lasted for a four-game streak in 2011, and then once defenses figured out what we did, we did not have the talent to overcome the scheme that every defense could plan for. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I, but now I think that we do have that talent. We have a we have a wide receiver that is pr- one of the best that pro- arguably has a potential to be one of the best in the NFL. Um, we have a stable of running backs, none of which are bad, none of which are like stinkers, none of which are Anthony Thomas level. That's right, A Train in the Dick Duran era. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love A Train. No, I I hear you. I hear you. I, it just frustrates me because, but at the same time though, Suge. Yes, you have to execute, but if your team you have to execute. if your team fails to execute over and but over and what over is again, execution? change something. Execution is we mental didn't. toughness. We, already, we didn't, though. We already benched one quarterback. What do you mean we didn't? We benched one quarterback already. Well, okay, yeah, we did one thing, but how long did it take to fix for Kyle to Orton, the line? For Kyle Orton, who the markets have normalized for, and I said as much in my conversation with Bill last week on this podcast saying, I don't know. It seems like Kyle Orton got off to a pretty fast start, and I'm just... It's Kyle Orton, and... Are all these teams that gave up on him, do they know something we don't know? Because it seems weird that all these teams would give up on a guy and he'd be as good as we think he is. There's no way that Kyle Orton for the rest of his career was going to have a 70% completion percentage and a or be QB on, rating of, like in the 90s. Or be on pace to set the Buffalo Bills franchise records for yards per game. Yeah, so he's fallen. I mean, but still, the mean of Kyle Orton has been pretty okay. If you think about the past Compared two Compared to what? EJ Manuel and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm just saying. Yeah, the, yeah, no, that's what I'm the saying. The bar is so low, and a quarterback, it's so important. No doubt. Like, no one is going to argue with the fact that we need a franchise quarterback, but for what we have right now, I feel like an average quarterback, an average NFL quarterback with an NFL mind and an NFL arm, can take the tools that we have in, uh, right now on our team and make things happen. Well, to bring this conversation full circle, an average quarterback, which is what we do have in Kyle Orton, is able to do that until we get down to the opponent's twenty yard line. That's when it all goes to shit. So we Which did- is all about which is all about <laughs> play calling and execution. Right? Both things. Both things. Play calling and execution. Okay. And if your team can't execute, then you need a different play call. Well we didn't even mention the Miami game. It sucked, but we failed on two straight times in the we did we're not mentioning the refereeing the I got text oh, I got text Lord. from non Bills fans saying how horrible that pass interference call was that put points on the fucking board. That was bad. Pass interference on Scott Chandler? The pass interference on Scott Chandler. God. I mean there was just 
It was a very, very... Oh, and the pass interference yeah, with Stephon thinking, Gilmore. Yeah, that was the... Oh, yeah, but but also they said they put Scott Chandler push off. Yeah. There no, was, was, was two. That, that was, was, was that I was, mean, it was... We didn't even discuss in the Miami game. Because I was so mad when I was watching the Colts-Patriots uh, game and Tom Brady was falling down and throws... You know, there was a receiver that was, you know, kind of coming back towards the ball. He throws it, like, two feet away from him. And, or two feet away from Tom Brady, like from himself, and the receiver was, you know, nowhere even in the realm, and he just threw it, and no pass. And Suge, no, no. I've heard this several times because I yelled at the TV, which I only do during Bills games, but I yelled at the TV during the Giants Niners game when Eli Manning was falling over and on his way to the turf, flung it over his shoulder. No clue, and just incomplete pass. Now, my solution to this, and nobody's given me any credence on this, so maybe you guys gotta tell me I'm crazy. Do away with the rule, or add into the rule, if the ball travels 10 yards, it's not intentional grounding. Let the quarterback weigh the risk of winging the ball more than 10 yards down the field from the pocket, under pressure, doesn't matter, receiver there, not a receiver there. If, there if, if the quarterback wants to throw the ball 10 yards down the field and take the loss of down, so be it. Give yeah. it to him. Well, because, I yeah. say that because Kyle Orton, in this game... Against Miami, two times threw the ball at the feet of a running back who was blocking. But because he was a eligible receiver, receiver in the vicinity, it's a technicality that he got away. So what? Like, what are we enforcing here? Is it the spirit of the law or is it the letter of the law? Because if it's the spirit of the law, we're not enforcing it. That's not what the rule is. And what the hell happened to the in the grasp rule? Did that just like go away? That that was a way to protect quarterbacks, right? That. You're in the grasp, so don't try and throw the ball. We're just going to call it a sack, and it's the end of the, you know, no, it's gu- the end of uh, Guys, the on their way to the turf, all it, Michael Vick did it against us already this year. Yeah. Like, like, they're wrapped up by a quarterback, and they just fling the ball to the flat where a tight end has no clue what's going on behind him, but it hits him in the ankle, well, and therefore yeah, and, it's and not And you wonder why grounding. people feel that they need to finish the quarterback when they hit them. You know, it's because that if you take them to the ground gently, they can squeeze out one arm and throw that ball, and if you're not Buffalo, you don't get called with intentional grounding. Which is why I, I mean, say set the mark at 10 yards down the field. Because if yeah. you're going to be wrapped up by a guy and try to fling it 10 yards down the field, that's a risky play. Right. So let them weigh that, but don't let them do the shit that Orton did. Yeah. Like, in when that highly questionable call that put points on the board, when that is not okay, but when everybody everybody knows that he, he clearly just stood back there and spiked it at the guy's legs... Yeah. He's intentionally grounding Grounded, the ball. Yeah, yeah, that's what they call it. Am I crazy or no, is this? It, and I, I, to me, I also don't understand why. Oh, if I get out of the pocket, I can just throw it away where the hell Whatever I want. Yeah, that's even if somebody is chasing me and on my back, I'm outside of the pocket. Even if I'm 15 yards behind the line of right. scrimmage and completely dead to rights. Right. Yeah, no, that's just yeah, another just, ridiculous that's, technicality. That's totally agree. I, I mentioned that this weekend. I'm like, oh yeah, that was an intentionally ground. I mean. He's out of the pocket, but there's nobody near him. No, I mean, they can literally no throw effort. it just no into effort. the... They can yeah. throw it into the stands yeah. once they're out of the pocket. Who cares? You know, like, that's... It's so long no as it doesn't go backwards, it's fine. Right. And Actually, just, I think it has to reach the line of scrimmage. It has to reach the line of scrimmage. It does but, yeah. but like, we not, like, enough with the loopholes. Enough with the technicalities. Like, the rule itself... And again, if a guy throws it away, that's a loss of down. It's, right. it's not like they get to, that's not like they have a freebie. Yeah. Like he's given up a down. Like to Your tack- defense did its job. Yeah. They they stopped the ball. The, the ball was not advanced. Yeah. You right. now have only two more tries to Okay. Anyways. That's I we- think I mean one other way that they could do this to make it interesting is that you have to throw the ball in the field of play. You can't throw it out of bounds. You can't throw it out of bounds, right? Because that would be a much more interesting thing that, okay, you're going to throw it away and not take the sack. Well, you're going to have to take the risk of throwing an interception. You know, like, because, hey, you want to add to the excitement of the game, you know? I, I, and, and I don't disagree And still protect that. the quarterback, you know? So, yes. Yeah, but then you some... get into some funky things of, you know, a quarterback just misses his player running down the sidelines and it goes out of bounds. Oh, and you call it, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, so. Well, that's what happened to us. Yeah, yeah. Right? Basically, He right? threw it before he yeah. broke. Yeah, and right. The guy broke in, and then he, you, everybody saw Sorry. his ass break back out. Sorry, our, yeah. our, like, our rookie wide receiver. Well, and I don't even know if he ran the wrong route. It just, by the time he got there, it was too late. Yeah, but he ran an inside, then outside route. Plus, and, uh, if we're going to call it vicinity, how are we going to have Yeah, like, yeah. Like, it's like, definitely I in the vicinity. Like, I've seen vicinity. Anyways. 
Let's enough. We didn't even talk about the Dolphins game. It's not worth talking about. We we should at least get into the Jets game here um, and try to salvage some dignity that this team has left here in 2014 and eke out a win on Sunday. So we'll see what everyone's feeling about that. We're gonna eke out. We're gonna kick their ass again. Mm, I hope. <laughs> So hard to please. But look around, these are brown, and the sky is a hazy shade of winter. So, two more home games here uh, in a row the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns coming up. Woohoo! But first, a rematch against the New York Jets, who I have to believe are going to have something to prove. They're coming off their bye week. I believe that Michael Vick is still their starting quarterback, and now they've had a chance to envelop Percy Harvin into their offensive game plan a little more than they did in the four days he was with the team prior to the last Bills matchup. I don't know about you guys, but given their defense and all they have to do is get their collective shit together a little bit on offense, and we could easily lose this game. I think that our our offense is not going to be able to play the same way that it did last game. Um, and I think that that was, you know, defending what you had said, I think that that was by intention that our offense was very conservative, not turning over the ball, because our defense was just destroying them. So you're um, saying the game plan can't be the same. The game it's, plan. It's not the execution. Well, the game I, think plan. I actually think that the game plan changed once we saw how successful our defense was being against that and I didn't, offense. And we didn't have an issue with the game plan, and I still don't. No, no, no I don't. Bill did not was not happy with it. But um, but no, yeah, I think that game, you and I... The offensive game plan that scored 43 points? Yeah, that was a Right, was a right. Bummer. No, no, no. I mean, it's absolutely... But, you know, like we both said, it was you play the game that you're playing, you know, and so we were destroying them on defense. So there was no reason to kind of go outside of yourself to, mm-hmm. to, to score points. But I think that now I think that they're one, their defense has seen us once and they've learned from Miami and Kansas city. Mm-hmm. Um, although fuck man, those teams didn't beat our offense. Like our offense still moved the, yeah, besides the red zone, you know, those, our offense moved down the field for against both teams, I guess towards the end of the Miami game or second half of the Miami game, it was an issue. But regardless, I, I think that, our offense is going to have to play to win. But again, oh, let me just talk about this, though, because the ship has sort of sailed on the Miami segment. But it's worth noting that um, our defense did not dominate Miami the way that they have in the past. That's true. Um, Miami ran a lot of misdirection. They ran a lot of motion in the pocket. They had um, a Tannehill optioning out. Is this not the game plan with Michael Vick in the backfield and what what they can do from a running back standpoint and with Percy Harvin on jet sweeps and other things that the New York Jets are fully capable of running too, especially now coming off a bye? I think the issue is that with Miami, we weren't prepared for that. With Michael Vick, we expected that because I think that Schwartz in the second half of the Jets game had Mario Williams step out at the, at the you know underneath the line to look for a read option or whatever. It's the same thing we did against Cam Newton when we were able to beat the the Panthers. So I think that that adjustment that we made in the second half of the of last Jets game will be the game plan for this Jets game where we are. But I think with Cam Newton, we didn't, or sorry, with um, Tannehill. Tannehill, we just didn't expect those things from him because he sure as hell hasn't done him much the entire season, and he definitely didn't do him against us in the past. Now, I will actually challenge you and put points on your side of the board from what we just argued about to say they should have expected that from him because Tannehill has been so woefully bad against the team that they should have known that they were going to do something different because they they must have looked across the field and said, well, there's professionals over there that are game planning for us. And certainly they've seen the abysmal performance that Tannehill's now put up three games in a row and they're not going to trot him out there and ask him to do the same thing. Surely they're going to mix it up somehow. Yeah, and I mean, they protected Tannehill this well, actually, we still got five sacks, but yeah. I, I, yeah. we got five sacks, but we didn't get as many pressures. I, I just felt like he was a lot more comfortable, which is why his completion percentage was, if I remember, ridiculously high it against was. us. He dinked and dunked, so he always does. Well, right. You know, that was another thing that really pissed me off. I know we're not in the Miami segment, but but the thing that pissed me off was that we were playing the same game that Miami was. We were doing this dink and dunk shit, uh, you know, with these short passes where, you know, people were just teeing off on us. And all of our success has been mid-range passes with Kyle Orton. It's been 
10 yards, 15 yards, or at least 8-yard passes. Uh, none of this, like, I mean, granted, you run a screen every once in a while, but none of these, like, oh, constant out routes that are 4 yards out, and you get 4 yards on each pass. That's not where Kyle Orton was good, and that was the, the refreshing thing that we saw with Kyle Orton as opposed to EJ was that, oh, he's throwing downfield a little bit. These are 10-yard passes, 15-yard passes. Even if they're not 30-yard passes, they're, you know, they're mid-range passes, and we completely let that go. And then our freaking running game was finally getting somewhere. We abandoned that, and we exclusively passed, or we passed a lot, and we were only doing this bullshit passing. Like, I just, I, 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 I mean, I hate to get back to it, but that might mean drove me nuts but getting to the jets i think that what we have to do is go back to our mid-range passes um and i think that we have to god damn it nate hackett you were so stubborn about the running game in the first half of the season now you have a new line that actually can break holes go back to fucking running the ball like oh, what and, is wrong and, with and you? running the ball quickly up the gut was very successful and then all of a sudden we're like oh let's do oh shit we can do it let's do something plays. different yeah let's do like you know, and what do we do against Kansas City? We killed them the whole time. Those, like, short little, like, out routes to, um, what's his name? Hogan. Going going up the side. No, 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 no. Uh, Brown. Going up the Bryce. side. Bryce, Bryce Brown oh, getting yeah, his flares, speed. Yeah. Not like a screen. Yeah. But like the. A little flare route. The little flare routes. Like, where was that? Like. Could we go back? Could we see a little of that? Because he has the speed Bryce to break Brown, it down the sideline. Bryce Brown has been playing very well. I'm. I'm very pleased with what he brings to the table. But still let, broke my heart. Let, let me simplify the offensive game plan for you guys. And considering what he did last time we played the Jets, how about we just look his way? I'm talking about Sammy Watkins. Mm-hmm. He does not have the equivalent of a Brent Grimes lined up across him against New York like he did against Miami. Let's get this guy involved. I mean, up until, last, up until the Miami game... In games that he had less than 30 yeah. yards receiving, we never won. Now, he had just over 30 yards, and Kyle Orton overthrew him when he was running free into the end zone there in the fourth quarter. But just throw this guy the ball. like. And the Jets have an abysmal secondary. Absolutely. Abysmal. We need to totally take advantage of it. But if we're looking at this from 30,000 feet, you gave up the farm for this guy, use him. Yes. Yeah, and I think I mean I think that will be our plan. I think that when we when we did take chances on offense against the Jets last game, that's what we were doing. We were going for deep range, like long, yeah. mid range. And it was it was Sammy passes. who and it was incredibly successful. Yeah, who who stopped to scratch his ass and got tackled at the three yard line, and who on a slant route outran three guys for a, what a sixty one yard run to the end zone. Yeah, I mean, it was just I mean the, the kid's amazing. The but. question is, is Vic's first three completions going to be to Buffalo Bills players? Probably, Probably not. not. Yeah. So, but people forget that we got three turnovers after Michael yeah. Vick came in. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, it's not like I mean, this is Michael Vick. This is not, and this is not pre. And we are in Buffalo. Yeah, this and this is not pre. Uh, wait, did he? Was he really good before or after he started killing dogs? Before, before, before. it was before, right? Yeah. This is not pre-dog killing Michael Vick. Yeah. This is like post-dog killing Michael yeah. Vick. This, this is, is Philadelphia. This is Eagle, mid Michael to late thirties, Michael yeah. Vick. Yeah. So you guys feeling pretty confident about this game? I am feeling good about this game. I think that I think it doesn't matter. I think that I think that either this team is going to show that they have some tenacity and show that they still have fight, or they they like most of fan, most of the fans in Bills Nation have said, okay, it's over. Because I, they like you that said, is not, that's not the case. Like you said, they're not mathematic, mathematically eliminated. Denver has lost to teams that they shouldn't lose to. Starting with the Rams, you know this past weekend. exactly. And so, who's to say why? You know, I mean, I just felt like this attitude needed to be in the Bills locker room. It's just why not us? Why can't we be the team that surprises everybody? Why can't we be the team that makes a run at the end of the season? Like, holy crap, where did the Bills come from? Oh well, if you look back at their season, they actually had some really high points during the. Right. They had this great defense, like. You know, Bill at the end of uh, last game was saying something to the effect of he was pissed off, and obviously we all were. And he was saying he's like, "Oh, you know what? This is the story they want to tell. They want to tell the story about how Tannehill finally comes into his own. Nobody wants to talk about the Buffalo Bills. Nobody wants it." And I was just like, "You know what? It's because the Bills suck. <laughs> like the Bills have sucked for a very long time, and no one wants to te- talk about a team that sucks. But this was the perfect year. Yeah. In fact." For the Bills' underdog story to be told, you know, new ownership that keeps the team in Buffalo and with the pride of Buffalo, one Buffalo, you know, we fight for Jim Kelly. I mean, God, the pregame for that Thursday night game against Miami. 
was all about Buffalo. It was Jim Kelly's cancer fight, and it was about how Buffalo saved, how Buffalo, how he genuinely feels as though the people in Buffalo saved his life. That's what it was all about. If we win that game, it's a perfect story for yeah. them. Yeah. No, the narrative's there. I agree. You guys feel pretty confident. Let's get into uh, wild card and predictions. This has been a fun episode. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. I feel like we've really captured the fire of Bills Nation in week going to week 12 here with this episode. So I'm, I'm really proud of the work we've done here this week. I, you know what? It's been a good... I was just depressed about coming here. <laughs> and maybe it's the three beers I've had. Yeah. Well, all good episodes must come to an end. This episode is no different. That means we're approaching the wild card portion of today's episode. The wild card! And the big news in Buffalo today wasn't the Bills uh, getting back to practice. It was the snowstorm that is pounding parts of the city. Uh, The weather graphic we saw indicated that upwards of 70-plus inches in East Aurora are expected by tomorrow. Uh, That'll be yesterday afternoon by the time you're getting this. So lots of Bills took the Twitter, took the Instagram, Cass, as our resident Instagram expert. I know you caught a lot of that content. I did, I did. So I I ask you gentlemen a question, because I already have my answer lined right up. If you were to be trapped in a snowstorm with any of the Buffalo Bills players, who would you choose to be trapped with? I'll go first. Um, Because we've talked about this article. I don't think we've talked about it in great depth, though. I I gotta go with Kyle Orton. I'm gonna go with the quiet warrior, Kyle Orton. Because um, one or two things are going to happen. Uh, we both are going to involve a a bottle of bourbon that nobody's going anywhere till it's empty between the two of us. And I'm either going to make him teach me to play chess, or we're just going to talk politics because uh, I work in the public sector for an elected official. He has political aspirations. Maybe someday he'll need a chief of staff. That's where yours truly steps in. But he's, he is painted in this article as being a very deep thinker, a, a very convicted think, thinker. And I'd, I'd kind of like to hear what the guy has to say when he's nine glasses of bourbon deep. So I, my, I'm going with Kyle Orton. I'm, we're going to sit, and I'm sure his living room has a, a large, probably two-story window so we can watch the snow fall outside. We can watch the sun go down. It'll gradually get darker and darker in the room as our conversation gets into greater and greater depth. With a cognac and a cigar. Yeah. Nice. And we'll leave friends. We'll we'll leave having both learned something about each other and about ourselves. And his resume, your resume, will be on his. Table. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I am going to pick, and I'm glad you said that you will be at Kyle Orton's house for the snow in, because I don't want to be stuck in my house with this guy. I want to be stuck in Marcel Darius's house. Because <laughs> you know that motherfucker's got some shit in his fridge. Snacks. He has got so much good food. He's got all the wings you could have. He's got every single pork product you could possibly imagine is in Marcel Darius's fridge. And I'm going to eat all of it. And you know what? He's going to be cool because he's going to be like, shit, let's break into this. Let's get the Kool-Aid. Let's get everything. It's going to be freaking amazing. And we're going to sit and we're going to watch... You know, old school Bills Scarface. highlights, or we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna watch whatever we want to watch, cause you know he's got all the satellite TV. He's even got those like weird Japanese channels. <laughs> but if it's satellite TV, won't that be compromised by the weather? No, he's got that. He's got some weird satellite that like <laughs> goes way up in the ground. He actually the has ground. his own satellite that's just dedicated to his house. So like it, it like if you sit on top of his house, you actually get a sunburn from the satellite beams that are coming down on. You. I actually like that choice a lot. I'm I'm sure that guy's pantry is exceptionally well stocked. That's is he married? Call. No, um, no. Darius? No. No clue. I mean, it doesn't isn't always strange when you hear like Stefan Gilmore talk about his four daughters, and you're like, wait, what? He doesn't have four daughters. I'm just as oh. an, as an example oh. when you hear like these twenty four year old. What you got to? Yeah, so why you got? He's married. He's married to a former track star from who uh, I think birthed his child before they exchanged. Okay, cows. no, no, if no, no. Can, that would be Circe. That would be Circe. Oh, Dinar really? Circe. Circe. Yeah, I believe he has. He is a, a a wife. It's not your baby mom if you married her. I'm just saying. It, it always shocks me. These young more. guys have such big families. Kyle Williams has a huge family. So is Fred Jackson. But they're, they're, those guys, I mean, oh, in their early 30s, they're a little long in the tooth. But these guys in their early 20s who already have like three kids, it always shocks me. So 
When you ask me if Marcel Darius is married, my first thought is, well, if he's not, I'm sure he has at least two kids. Is that... Is he it, sat on his kid. I, Listen, it's a sad story. He sat on his kid and killed him. That's... <laughs> okay. That's horrible. Sammy Watkins does have a kid, too. He does? Yes, he does. It, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get what you're throwing down Marcel there. Marcel Darius has kids. They're actually alive and well. And they're sitting <laughs> in between named, one of his cat rules. <laughs> yeah. Like, like a kangaroo the pouch. Hunt. They're named Jerry Hughes and Preston Brown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, for the easy answer... Based off of Instagram, uh, I I'm actually gonna come visit both of you guys because Kyle uh, Kyle Williams, I'm sorry, Mario Williams and I are going to be hanging out in his Bobcat and driving his three trucks around that have like 70 inch wheels and like playing around in the snow like it's it's as you not say even this there. as you say this you do know in what uh, snow pounded film the Bobcat makes for the escape vehicle do you not? The Bobcat's so damn slow. Yeah, do tell. The Shining. Ooh. The yeah. Shining. Yeah. <laughs> it's wow. The Shining Boy. So. Yeah, they escape in a Bobcat because the, uh, the Overlook Hotel gets so much snow. So are you saying that inside Mario Williams' sprawling Buffalo Manor, there's going to be some strange sur- surrealistic uh, half allegory for the eradication of Native Americans horror scene playing out and that's what you're running from mm, oh potentially no i i was just thinking <laughs> he does have those we were, weird red eyes yeah those weird going. red eyes and it is western new york a lot of native americans died there yeah yeah so we were just gonna like go play around like oh all these people are stressing out like this sucks we're just gonna go take some cars out for a ride you know so go for a little joy that, ride wait you said that's the obvious answer no yes it's the definite do you, do you obvious have another answer. one no i mean well then i have another option because Wait, I, I, I can tell you the one place I won't be. It would be with Fred Jackson because well, yeah. Kyle Williams with those, oh, with those with their God. kids. I the mean, nine thousand like, kids. Yeah, around. like yeah. oh my goodness, he's like throwing his kids in the snow. Adorable, very adorable, but not As a person who has a kid, like I completely appreciate the fun with the kids thing, but. If you get to get stuck with a Bills player, I don't know, just, it's going to be fun. The one that doesn't have kids, yeah. If you're going to be stuck with a 20-year-old millionaire, how about the one that's not has a brood Well, and around? even if it was like, you know, Fred, it's different because it's Fred. Like, Fred's like wholesome. You know that motherfucker's not going to be drinking, right? Yeah. yeah you no. know, he's not going to be like going wild. But like, back, to, back to Mario Williams for a second. Is he the most active Bills player on Instagram? It's, uh, no, I would actually say Aaron Williams is. And he's interesting Aaron to follow. Yeah, he's yeah, he's yeah. extremely I, positive. He guess. like always, like after the loss this week, he was like, he always has this quote or something that's like, you know, we might be down, but we're not giving up. You know, he. I feel like he really I like is Aaron vested. Williams a lot. So. Uh, and follow-up question, what is with the red eyes? Is there a reason behind that, or is he just do it for No, he had, there was something. I don't know what it is. No, I have, I have no idea. There's he some just... story behind it. I thought I saw an article about why it's happening, but I didn't read it. So. Was it a clickbait headline, though? Or is it, I mean, oh, I, I, I got that, that impression. That's why I didn't follow the link, because uh, I, I saw what you saw. Okay, predictions for Sunday. Worst case, best case scenario. Suge, we'll start with you. All right. Uh, worst case scenario is that the poor offense continues, and the defense... I don't know, someone's figured it out, and that's why they can move the ball. So the, the Jets beat us. I think worst-case scenario, because I don't think our defense is that bad. I don't think they'll give up more than 28 points. That would be pretty bad for our defense, and that we score 10. Um, I think best-case scenario, we get back on track. Um, I, I don't I don't can't even like make last, last Jets game be a... A best no, case scenario because no. it's just so unlikely. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna say that best case scenario thirty one, and thirty one seventeen, Bills. Okay. Uh, okay. Cass. Um. Yeah. Worst case scenario is obviously we falter in the red zone again and we put up nine points in like. Hmm. Dan Carpenter. It's been seven quarters since we've scored a yeah. touchdown. Yeah. That that continues. So it's like. No way, fucking hell. Tw- Twenty twenty seven and nine we lose. Oof. Wow. Like, yeah, well, you want worst-case scenario. Best-case scenario, 
we win like 24, 23 in a riveting, like get everybody fired up. Everybody's super excited. We're screaming shout at the end of the game because the Bills come through with a big victory. You want an overtime victory. I love it. I yeah. love it. I don't want that. At all. <laughs> uh, my I worst... do. I feel like it's been so lifeless the past You know, weeks. here's the thing. My worst case scenario the last couple of weeks have had Bills winning at a narrow margin. I'm going to say worst case scenario this week. The Bills lose, as I said before, and I think that margin is going to be about 12 points. So a two-score margin that we just can't overcome, as has been the case the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's going to be worst case scenario. Best case scenario, um, yeah, just like last time, we score in the 30s and they get a couple garbage time touchdowns late, so we end up winning by about 20 points, maybe 37-18 or something. It's interesting. I feel like we all have relatively similar, other than your, your eke it out victory, um, I think we all have relatively similar predictions. I, I just think that the interesting thing, just as a whole, for this team moving forward is do they have fight? I think that the one thing that Marone has instilled in this team is fight. We don't give up even when we're losing by, you know, what seems to be an insurmountable margin. So I think that that, that is encouraging, that this team will fight to the end. And really, they have nothing to lose. I mean, they're either, you know, from the coaching staff, they're either going to be gone or they're going to be there. And so they want to keep fighting. I mean, well, in that sense, they have everything to lose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, I mean,. They have nothing to gain from losing, I guess. You know, Bill fans, we think about draft picks and things like that. No, well, we don't no, have one. No, we don't have a first round. No, I know, but but <laughs> you know, Cleveland does. A high level set two is a lot more valuable than a low level two. Cleveland, you know? by the way, on the Schneid, so I'm I'm glad that we are going to be able to talk about them next week. But uh, I I regret to say I will not be at the bar, so I'll be texting you guys on Sunday. I'm looking forward to the game. I, I enjoy me a Bill Sunday. I really hope they come away with a win. If they don't, it's going to be pretty pretty bad, and it's going to be a dark. Dark, dark week on the message boards. So let's at the very least hope that that's not the case. Hey, oh. hey, we got Thanksgiving holiday coming up. We'll have a lot to be thankful for. That's right. I kind of wish so, we were playing on Thanksgiving. I kind of do too. Billsandbeers.com is the best way to find us. Tell your friends, tell your relatives, tell everybody in Bills Nation. It'll be a fun game. Again, love watching the Bills play. So you can't complain. And I always say every year, the, one of the best parts of my year is the two seconds leading up to the opening kickoff in week one because that means I have more Bills football to look forward to over the next couple months than I will have at any point in the entire year. We have at the very least six games left to look forward to. Let's savor them all. It ain't the end, baby. It, it ain't, ain't the, the end. end. For Cass, for Suge, for Bill, for Jam and Jeff Day, I'm Lars. Go Bills. Let's go, Let's go, the Bills make me wanna shout.